Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome back to uh, welcome back to the Talkcast, the Talkcast podcast talk show. Um, all my thoughts are a little bit distorted right now, so just kind of give everybody a fair warning. But this is the type of uh, live stream that I feel that most of my uh, most of my normal viewers are. I guess not really uh, going to be interested in, or they might be interested in it. I don't know, uh, but it's not my usual forte to talk. Um, but most of you guys pretty much know that I am a transparent person. I like to uh, clue you guys in, so you guys pretty much understand me a lot better if I can be uh, open with everybody. And so, um, yeah, as the title implies, um, literally, I'm just going to just open up to you guys, you know, about a lot of things personal about me um, to an extent, not too much of my personal life, but just my personal thoughts, because sometimes my personal thoughts can get really freaking scary. Um, so for a lot of you guys who don't know, um, I joke around about, you know, ADHD, hashtag ADHD problems, those types of things. But really, I am uh clinically ADHD. Uh, you guys probably could hear it sometimes in, in the way that I talk, um, how I can kind of just like bounce around from one subject to another or like, you know, talk about a subject and completely just veer off into another subject and go into that and then, then come right back to where I was before. Uh, I know I'm a nutcase. I'm all over the place when it comes to this type of stuff. And um, But that's not the only thing that I suffer from. You know, and uh, I know that there's other people out there who are probably dealing with the same things. And I'm here to tell you guys that, you know what, it's okay. It's it's okay to deal with a lot of the things that you deal with uh, internally, mentally. And, um, you know, just know that you're not alone. Like, I really want people to know that you're not alone. Um, you know, it was... It was unveiled in my dark in my dark times that I have dark thoughts, you know, that I, I, I tend to think a certain way. Um, it does affect those that are around me, you know, uh, those that are considered friends. It um, literally affects them, you know, and, and, and why wouldn't it? If someone actually cared about you, then, um, you know, they're, they're not going to want to hear about you going through. I mean, people, they see you go through stuff, but... Nobody wants to see you hurt yourself or do anything like that, you know. And um, while there are people out there who can just like easily just have a solution to it, um, they tend to forget that sometimes, you know, these these inner struggles that we deal with, you know, is not so clear to the way that they see it. You know, there's not always a one fix for all you know, um, one trick pony thing that's going to solve all the damn problems that people go through. And um, I think that, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's good to have those kind of people around, you know what I mean? Those who think that it's just a clear fix um, because then you don't, you don't feel, you know, um, you don't feel like that this is overbearing to the point where you're just never going to come out of it. You know, for me, when I was younger, I was, uh, you know, clinically diagnosed ADHD, but I was also clinically diagnosed uh, MPD. And for those people who don't know what that is, it's a multiple personality disorder. Now, it doesn't mean that I have different names or anything like that. Like, you know, I'm not switching off from being Tito to being, you know, um, 
Mark to being uh, Harry to being Lloyd is nothing like that. Um, I think my personalities are very visible based upon, um, you know, what, what you see. There are there are different uh, levels to this shit. Uh, good morning, Blaze. How's it going? Um, there's different levels to this, you know. Um, people have people who are close to me who are around me a lot have seen this. Um, you know, there's a there, there's my there's my childlike personality. You know, well, like everything and everything to the world to me is like fresh eyes seeing it for the first time. Um, very energetic, you know. Very, you know, like. Um, yeah, they're just very childlike, you know. I have my my depressive side, you know. And like, while people can, you know, try to classify these things as like those are normal things. Yeah, they're normal for every human to have. But when they start to like overtake you, and no, it's no longer normal. And um, you know, I've done things that I regret in life. You know, like um, the way I handled school, I regret in life. The way that I that I handled myself at, at an adolescent age, I regret it in life. Um, the the things that I have learned to be to normalize that shouldn't be normalized, I regret in life. Like you know, people live their lives with regret in it. You know, there's not one person that can stand here and say I have no regrets at all whatsoever. Because if they are, they're they're freaking lying. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, like, for instance, okay, just throwing it out there. All right. So, you know, some, you know, some people worry about, you know, um, what people think of them. Some people worry about, you know, what, what people on the internet call trolls or, you know, haters or all these types of things. And then the reason why that haters and trolls really don't bother me you know, it's, it's not because of the sticks and stones, you know, type of thing. Um, it's not really that, you know, to be honest with everybody, the reason why that these things don't really hurt me is because they're not saying anything that my mind is not already telling me. Matter of fact, to be quite honest, they're not saying anything that is hurtful compared to what my own mind tells me. And so I guess that's why it doesn't have that kind of effect or whatever effect that they want to have, you know, they could talk about my personal life. They can talk about my personal relationships. They can call me a loser. They can say that I look like this. I look like a bum or whatever the fuck they want to say about me. But truth to be told, what's in my own head is a lot darker than what they're saying. And my internal struggle is that I am always trying to remind myself of value remind myself that I am valuable to somebody. You know, I have to remind myself that. My kids find me valuable. I have to remind myself that, you know, my significant other finds me valuable. And it's a day-to-day struggle. And it's really hard to open up and talk about it. Um, so that's why I'm doing a lot of ums and everything. And it's really hard for me to kind of even open up to you guys and talk about it. Because, you know, it's painting a different light over me right now. A light that, you know, most of you guys probably never even knew about. But I struggle with that on the day-to-day. So anyone that talks shit about me, it never really bothers me because it's like, it's very minor, you know? And and it's not opening a personal challenge to anyone out there to try to go hard and say shit about me because trust me, you can go as hard as you want. You're not going harder than what I am doing to my own self. Um, But, you know, it's the internal struggle that I deal with every day. You know, I come on here 
and I talk about tech and, you know, I try to get playful with it and everything like that is because it's an escape for me from what my own thoughts tell me. And even my own thoughts tell me that I'm absolutely garbage on this. You know, I'm trash to, you know, to YouTube, I'm trash to everything that I do. You know, I beat myself inside, you know, like, why did you even try? Those types of thoughts run through my head all the time when I'm, when I'm gearing up to do a live stream and when I'm gearing up to record a video, like when I record a video, you know, my own thoughts tell me like, dude, you don't know how to edit a video. Like your video is very basic compared to everybody else's out there. You know, I really just kind of like do that to myself. And, you know, at the same time, trying to flip that on itself and try to use that to, con- to for me to continue to push forward in what I do, because that's the way that I treat all other aspects in my life. You know, um, this will probably be a, a hard thing for my own father to hear, you know, because no, no dad wants to hear that one child just feels like that they're the dark cloud that hangs over the family, that they're the black sheep, that they're whatever, you know, the, the outcast, the redheaded stepchild. No parent wants to hear that. For a long time in my entire life, I really felt that way. And, you know, it's just because like I dealt with, while well, I was trying to deal with the aspects of my dad moving on in life, that my dad meeting somebody that that meant something to him, that made him happy, and then creating a life with this person. And, you know, today they're still together. They're still married, you know? Um, when I was young, I didn't understand the concept of divorce. I didn't understand why my mom and dad just can't be happy together. Why can't we be the typical happy family? You know, I struggled with that for so many years. Um, looking at it, from my point of view, because I don't know if my parents ever thought to think to look through my point of view, you know, it, it, it tormented me a lot growing up, you know, it tormented me a lot when people were like, I only see your dad come when you get your, you know, your, your math awards. Cause like back then in elementary school, they used to, they used to have these awards, you know, for, for kids that were really good with math, kids that were really good at reading, um, we used to have reading marathons in school, you know, for like an entire week, we can come to school in our PJs with blankets and like a stack of books that we owned. And all we would do all day long was read, read from the morning to lunchtime, lunchtime we eat after lunch, read from the afternoon to the end of school, an entire week dedicated to reading. We had, um, we had, you know, physical, um, like, like, like an entire week dedicated to, to, uh, physical education, you know what I mean? Like we had like the hundred meter dash. Um, we had, you know, like the, the relays we had, you know, the pull-up competition, we had the push-up competition, you know, we had an obstacle course competition. Like we had all those things, you know, growing up and my dad would come to them sometimes, you know, when he can have time off work, he would come to them, but people would notice that it was only my dad there, you know, and, and I, and I struggled a lot, with, uh, you know, I mean, I was happy that my dad was there. Don't get me wrong. You know, my dad's my rock. My dad, I guess the reason why I'm looking more close to my dad with my mom is because I was mostly grown up with my dad. You know, my mom, she moved from place to place. And, you know, um, sometimes she'd pop back up in our in our lives. Sometimes she wouldn't. And um, my dad was always there, you know. But uh, he found somebody else that, you know, he could, uh, you know, fall in love with and, he could marry and have kids with. And, and, and right when all that stuff was developing for him, 
I know that, you know, he tried his best to open my eyes to say that we're all, you know, we're all family. We're just, we're, we're one, we're one family just because, you know, my wife is not your biological mother doesn't mean that, you know, she's not accepting that you are my son. You know, she never put it out to, to that extent that, you know, like what everyone fears the evil stepmother or the evil stepfather thing, you know, but I was so close minded because I was still dealing with the hurt of my family broken apart that, um, I kind of alienated myself without realizing that I was alienating myself. And, um, for a long time growing up, I always felt like the outsider, the outcast, the person that was just like, was just there, you know, there, like, I really, really believed in my mind at a certain point, you know, in my teenage years that I was only under my dad's roof because by law he had to take care of me, you know, but I always felt like that if, if given the choice, you know, my dad was happier with, you know, his new wife, you know, with, with my younger brother and sister that my dad would have dropped me and just pushed me aside, which was never the case. You know, it was never the case. He never really felt that way, but that's how I felt. You know, these were the, again, these were the, these were my young thoughts brewing that type of thought. Now it's far fucking worse than what it ever was when I was younger. You know, the thoughts that I hear in my head all the time, the shit that I try, I try to deal with on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, at a, at a young age, I was already starting to tell myself that my, my value wasn't worth anything. I was telling myself that, you know, and, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it just stayed that way. You know, my oldest sister, you know, she moved out at the age of 16. She found a life, you know, she, uh, forever just kind of like, you know, went her way. And, you know, I felt abandoned because like, she was like, she was like my partner that we, you know, I felt like I was safe. You know, that I felt like there was somebody else like me, you know, like we're in the same rowboat together, you know, you know, I always felt like my dad, my, my, my stepmom, my younger brother and sister are in one boat. And then me and my sister are in another boat that's tied by a rope to my dad's boat, but we're not allowed to sit in my dad's boat. We have to stay in ours. That's how I felt life was for me for such a freaking long time. And then here my sister goes at the age of 16, leaves the house and goes away and, you know, um, finds a life for herself. And for me, it just, then I was like, okay, now I'm alone in this boat being towed by my dad's boat and I'm alone. And I'll tell anybody right now, you know, if you suffer from depression, being alone is not where you want to be. You need to surround yourself by people because when you are alone, you are very dangerous alone. Um, the thoughts that were just brewing was just insane. You know, I never told my dad this and I never told uh, my psychiatrist this because when, when my dad started having me going to see, you know, a psychiatrist, like I was seeing a psychiatrist, you know, um, once or twice a week. And then I had another um, counselor who was not from the school, but I had another counselor come and see me every Thursday each week. And she would come in just to like talk to me. She would pull me out of class and talk to me for about 40 minutes. And then I would actually talk to her. Um, And I mean, you know, (laughs) then I had the school counselor actually talk to me too. It was, uh, 
I was afraid to like open up and talk to him about the the stuff that I had. Like I gave him all the real cliche, generic bullshit answers, you know, to the questions that, you know, um, it would never really open up because I was afraid they would put me away. And then I was, you know, at the time I was thinking in my head that, you know, if I prove, if I give them a reason to put me away, it would, it would totally benefit my dad. And I was very rebellious against my dad and I didn't want him to win. So I was just like, no, no, just keep this all inside, which was the worst mistake I have ever made when it comes to my own mental health and everything like that. Worst mistake, you know, because I remember that, you know, God damn, man, the summer, the summer of where I didn't give a damn anymore. The summer where, you know, I did a lot of a lot of bad things a lot of bad things, you know, things that honestly, like if I was a billionaire and these are thoughts that come to my mind, but if I was a billionaire, I would, I would spend that money tracking down all those people, whether they were still alive today or not and finding some sort of way to, um, well, of course, apologize, but also um, to seek redemption from them. Cause I heard a lot of people, I mean, I'll be open with you guys. I'd, there were people that I robbed in Waikiki. You know, Waikiki is like the spot for people to go to for family vacations. And, you know, the things that I'd done as a teenager, you know, running bags off the beach. That's where, like, you know, we kind of watch people at the beach. So we're at the beach ourselves. You know, we're going out to the water. We're swimming. You know, we're boogie boarding. You know, we're just having a day. And then we, we, we sit on the beach and we watch these tourists that come. And we see, we look for those who are like counting their money from their wallets really quick before they tuck their wallet in their backpack and cover it with a, you know, with a beach towel. And then what we do, we walk up, walk nearby. When we get close enough, snatch the bag and run off the beach. And since, we you know, we, we roam around Waikiki, we know all the back alleys and shortcuts and places to hide. So we would take those bags, we would hit, you know, um, cross Kalakaua Avenue into the hotel areas and just book it through all those hotels. Even sometimes just going in the elevator and like taking it up to the sixth floor and then running down the hall of the, of the sixth floor to the, uh, to the stairwell, the fire escape stairwell and go down that and then hop over to the hotel right next to it. <laughs> we were doing some pretty dumb things, uh, me and my friends, but I was in the, I was at the time. I was very reckless. I didn't care anymore. I didn't care what happened to me. And I sure as hell felt like no one gave a damn about me. So, you know, hell, I was going to do what I wanted to do. And obviously, you know, when you're on the run, because at the time I ran away from home, um, I had ran away for an entire three months. You know, the only thing that my dad knew was that we lived on an island. So, you know, there was a very less chance that I hopped the plane and went somewhere else. He knew that I would more than likely stay on the Island. So at least that gave him some semblance of like, okay, you know, he might be okay. Is that I'm not leaving the state, but still the elements of what happens in Hawaii, you know, I can end up dead. So those things always kept him up at night, but like that whole, the whole summer, it was not summer of 96. I was on the run. I ran away from home. I was gone. I was just like, I was just done with a lot of things. And, and I heard a lot of people along the way. I mean, I remember, you know, sad case scenario. There was this kid who was uh, visiting the Island with his family and he was walking around um, about 11 in the morning and uh, me and my group of friends, my little crew, we were walking around just, you know, trying to find something to do. Also, you know, find some money to eat, you know, cause that's what we did. Most of the day was try to find some way to get some money so we can eat. 
And in that way, once we've eaten something, you know, we can just chill, hang out with the people that we knew that, that ran around the area at night. And, um, so we saw this kid and, uh, kind of like he thought we befriended him he thought some of the local kids had become friends with him and that wasn't really the case um, of course he had five hundred dollars in his pocket he had a jacket that i thought was really nice and i wanted and um yeah so he kicked it with us for about like a good 30 minutes or whatever and we led him to a spot and then um i ended up hurting the kid over something as stupid as a jacket i mean i hurt him bad like none of my friends knew that this kid was going to get beat up by me really bad. They just thought that we were just going to press up on him and, and jack him for his stuff. But I unleashed anger that day and, uh, and I really hurt the kid, you know, and I fully, I fully regret it to me. It was just like, I don't know when I was beating that kid up, it was like I was beating myself up. And I think that's where I went too far. And you know, I'm I'm sure the kid is is still around. He's not a kid anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm 38. I'm about to be 39. So I'd say this this person would probably be about 35, 36 years old. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, summer of '96 was not the best time for me. It really wasn't. It was a, a lot of my anger and my aggression came out, and and I hurt a lot of people, innocent people, not just kids but adults too. I'm sure there was a lot of you know, the people that, you know, I mean, there was a hotel where me and my friends were like climbing down the side of the balcony on 26th floor, you know, and I look back at that. And I'm like, today, I wouldn't even have the balls to do that. But back then I was reckless and um, we robbed several hotel rooms. I mean, you know, video camcorders and, you know, cameras, um, jewelry, um, they even had like foreign money that we can go to the foreign exchange place at the international airport and exchange it for us dollars, which we did. Um, and I know, you know, and, and it has to hurt people. Like you can't just take from somebody and not think that, okay, all they're going to look at it as is like, Oh, we got robbed. That's it. You know, type of thing. Like, no, you, you really, you really put a, a dark cloud over that person. Like, like your negativity has now imprinted on them. Because now they don't feel safe anymore. Their whole, you know, um, this is my wonderful um, Hawaii vacation has been completely tainted because of someone as idiotic as myself and selfish to go and hurt somebody like that by, you know, robbing them of something that they worked hard for. I didn't work for it. They did, you know. But I, I you know, I wanted to get money. I wanted to get something to eat. You know, because my pride wouldn't say, okay, you know what? I'm too hungry. Just go home to my dad's house. <laughs> my pride wouldn't let me do that. Pride is probably one of the biggest things that will get in your way. Pride is some, one, of the, one of the biggest things that will actually be your downfall. And, um, you know, my, uh, my, my struggles didn't end there. You know, I, I struggled with that all through, you know, my adolescent years. And, um, you know, there were some people that I guess I latched on to that, you know, I give credit had, you know, really in, in a way saved me, even though they don't think they did. Um, you know, so at a point that I was getting really, really, really dangerously reckless, 
uh, one of my first girlfriends. Okay. Um, I think she's one of my first girlfriends because like, like I've dated girls, you know, in like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know what I mean? But those were like relationships that only lasted like maybe four days, five days, you know, like those type of petty relationships where you're just like, <laughs> you know, they don't really count. But like this person, I actually dated her for, not dated her. We were, we were boyfriend and girlfriend for, you know, two and a half years on and off, you know, there was a, a small breakup point and then we got back together. But, um, I don't think she even knows that she actually, her and her family actually saved my life because I had gone completely reckless. I was just bad. And, um, I met her and, you know, because I, you know, I wanted her parents' approval to date her, you know, and everything like that. I had to, I had to tone myself down. I had to calm down from my, from my stupidity. And, um, you know, her, her dad opened up to me. And so, um, he would always like, you know, give me like words of wisdom and things like that. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, like they, they took me in, you know, like I didn't live with them, but you know, I, I could always hang out at their place. So I wasn't running around on the streets, getting into trouble. I was always hanging out with her at her place. And, you know, um, and I started to get into skateboarding to use that as a way to let out my aggression and my thoughts. Cause they were starting to pile. It's like, I always look at my, myself, like a, like, like a glass bottle and just drops of water, just constantly going in and then it getting full and full and full. And I was afraid that I was going to ruin this good thing I had going on. So um, I found skateboarding, which allowed me to, you know, take out my aggressions in a very, in, in, in a more positive way. And I, I started skateboarding every day, every day. It was just like, <sighs> it was a challenge. It was a challenge. You know, I got, you know, I got connected with a team called Natural Concept, you know, that pretty much like had like members on their team from like Hawaii, California, Oregon, and Washington State. And um, the guy that put me on was a pro skater named Cully Sandridge. Um, you know, cool dude. Uh, he's got his demons and everything like that, but you know, generally he was a cool dude. And um, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't until the dreaded uh, the dreaded thing happened. You know, um, she wanted more in life because she was she was approaching uh, graduating high school, and um, I hadn't graduated high school. I dropped out, so she was getting to a point where she was realizing, you know, she wanted a life. She wanted, you know stability and, and security and stuff like that, you know? So we eventually parted ways. Um, but it was cool though, because even though she and I, you know, well, she broke up with me, I'll be honest. She broke up with me and I just had to learn to accept it. Um, but I had made a promise to her because like a lot of people in her family, they thought, cause she was kind of wild too. So a lot of people thought, yeah, you know, she's going to get knocked up and she's going to, you know, she's going to drop out of, out of high school. She actually didn't. And I was always, you know, one of the supporters behind her, just kind of rallying behind her. Like, you're going to prove them all wrong. You're going to graduate high school. You're going to shove it back in all their faces, you know, because everyone thought you were going to be this dropout that got knocked up and pregnant and just screwed your life up. You're going to prove to people that you're not. And um, I kept my promise to her because I told her that no matter, you know, no matter what happens between me and her, the, the day of her high school graduation, I was going to be there to watch her walk. And uh, I remember someone telling me like, oh, yeah, you know, tonight's the night where, um, you know, Roosevelt High School is having their, their high school graduation ceremony. And, you know, I hopped on every city bus to take me to get to 
to where the school is at. And I made it just in time because they hadn't started calling people up to get their diploma, got there. And um, I sat way back. Like I seen her family from a distance and I didn't want them to see me because, you know, me and her were not together. And so they're very protective of her. So I didn't want them to be like, get out of here, you know, but I kept my promise to her. And uh, I, I watched her walk. I watched her graduate, you know, and I think that was my way of just like, um, my one, I kept my promise. And two, you know, the person who saved me from myself at that time, you know, literally it was like, thank you. You know, like, I'm like, like, I'm happy that, you know, you got what you wanted. You got to prove a lot of people wrong. You got to show that, you know, you were on the right path and that, you know, everyone that rallied behind you got to, got to see that moment of you celebrating that, but also, you know, uh, and I was there in my way because I did want to talk to her, but I couldn't get close to her to talk to her to say, hey, you know, like, thank you. Because that night, that was my entire plan was to say thank you for everything that you've done. And then just kind of like walk away and like sever ties for good, like never to be seen or heard by from her, like by her again. And, um, you know, my thoughts started carrying me a different way. You know, my thoughts always take me all over the place, you know, but they get darker and darker every time with, with, with every life changing moment in my life, they get worse. And, um, yeah. So from that point, like I had just said to hell with everything, you know, my dad had already left, you know, he had left Hawaii with my younger brother and sister. They left, they moved. Um, my older sister, she was, uh, you know, gearing up for, you know, her second marriage uh, and was doing her own thing. So, you know, at, at the age of 19 to 20, for an entire year, I was homeless on the island of Hawaii. And let me tell you, while a lot of people would be like, well, that that seems like a, a very good, you know, a very good thing because it's better than being homeless in like, you know, New York City or it's better than being homeless in Phoenix, Arizona. Like, yeah, it may be. But it still sucks to be homeless. You know, I had like a a giant duffel bag full of clothes that I would go and wash at the laundromat once a week. So I had clean clothes. You know what I mean? Of course, the beach has showers like like uh, inside showers. So, you know, you can go take a shower. But it was just so hard to just walk around with nowhere to go every day and try to find food and try to, you know, survive out there. Um, You know, it literally sucked. And then. um Twice I tried to end it. Twice. Um, there was one night that I was... Uh, so there's this area called Pearl Kai Shopping Center. And um, below the area is a, is an underground parking garage that was no longer being in use. So it was like abandoned. So, I mean, you can walk down there. It's dark down there. It's not really much going on over there. But um, yeah, no cars were parking there. But behind it, there was like a, a bike lane that extended from um, from Pearl City area going all the way to Pearl Harbor Naval Station. And um, at one point, there's like a bridge with a canal that kind of goes inland um, from the lagoon area where the USS, uh, the USS Arizona Memorial is at. It's a little bridge there. And I, I, I thought about jumping in and just, you know, exhaling all the oxygen out of my lungs and just drown myself there. It was the first time that I ever felt like that. I just wanted to end things. 
and I was just tired. I was tired of life. I was tired of being an outcast. And that's it. That was the thing. I, was, I really wasn't an outcast to my dad, but I kept telling myself that like all these years, I kept telling myself, kept telling myself that. And, um, at a young age, I was very rebellious, you know, but then I thought I could turn my life around. So I decided to go to job Corps because I, I had the phone conversation with my dad and my dad was like, um, they have a, they have a program here called job Corps, and you can get your, your GED and you can take a trade and uh, do something for yourself. And I was like, you know, like, yeah. And, and I think that was like the, the, the beginning of where I thought that I had to live up to something to have my dad's love. And so that's where it kind of flipped from being rebellious to now wanting my dad to accept me. And, um, and so I, you know, I just, I left Hawaii. I left everything there behind everything that was just dragging me down. Everything that I felt that that was a distraction. Trust me, there was, there was women who were like a distraction to me. You know what I mean? And I just had to cut all that shit out. And I just left, I left the Island. And, um, I went to job Corps. Kind of funny when I thought Job Corps, though. I think they still hate me because I was I was reckless there. I mean, I was always a, a rebel, and um, yeah. So I took uh, culinary arts as a trade, and when I completed that program, uh, I switched over and took lithographic arts. And um, while I was doing lithographic arts, I got my GED. And then I was kind of bored and I wanted to stay on the campus of job course. I was like, well, what else could I do? So they had this thing called the stars program, which is a high school program where you actually get a real high school diploma from the state of Maryland. And I was like, yo, that'd be so cool. Like I'd have a GED and I'd have like an actual high school diploma out of the state of Maryland. So I signed up for courses in job Corps, and I took that. And, um, but you know, at the same time, I was such a rebel to the whole campus like I, I just you know rules when people put rules i feel like people people put these rules there for me to break them so i would break all these rules eventually got myself kicked out of job corps but because i had you know i had a, um, a trade certificate in culinary arts i had a trade certificate in lithographic arts i had my ged and then i had passed the uh, stars program testing you know at the end of the course and had gotten my uh high school diploma from the state of maryland and they kind of looked at me weird, like, you know, you get into all this trouble, you do all these damn things, but yet you get a GED and then you go and you get a high school diploma through through these programs that we have here. And, and you know, you, you get certified in two different trades. Like, what the hell? You know, they just couldn't they couldn't understand me. Uh, so anyways, uh, the uh, the campus director was like, look, I'm sending you home now. Um. Because normally what they would do is that even after, like when you finish all these different programs that you've taken, they let you live on campus until they have their graduation ceremony, which is like every February. And um, it was November. <laughs> and they're like, look, you got to go. You got into too much trouble here. You just, you just got to go. And then, you know, we'll send you a letter in the mail telling you when to come back for, the, you know, the graduation ceremony so you can walk. And I went home two months before the ceremony was going to happen, but I did get to walk. I don't know if my dad still has a video. I know he recorded it. Um, Cause like, you know, we, we had two different, we had two different sets of gowns. So if you, if you wore a black gown, it's because you got your GED or you, um, 
um, passed the STARS program and got your high school diploma from Maryland, you wore a black gown. If you got your um, just a trade, you wore a red a red gown. If you got a trade and your high school diploma, you wore silver. So uh, obviously I got a silver gown. And um, I never knew, that was the first time that I had a positive feedback. I never knew what kind of impact I had on people because I was friends with everybody on campus. Trust me, this is like weird. Job Corps had this really weird shit going on where people were just segregating themselves based upon their, their lifestyle. You know, so you had, you know, like a lot of the black folks kicked it with the black folks that also kicked it with the Mexicans, but because they got along so well because they were into, you know, the hip hop um, street mentality lifestyle. Right. And you had all the skaters, the punk rockers and all them hanging out together just because, you know, their lifestyle. You had the super nerdy people and they really didn't get along with the geeks like the nerds and the geeks didn't get along. It was just crazy, but, you know, I knew just about everybody on campus and everyone on campus pretty much knew who I was and I got along with everybody. I didn't know that these people actually liked me until the day that I graduated when they announced my name to come up and get my diploma, which was like a first positive thing that I really, really felt like I was accepted by anybody was when the entire stadium erupted because of those people who were still attending the program gave me a standing ovation on the day I graduated. And I was just like, whoa, (laughs) I was expecting just like, you know, my real close friends to like, you know, be loud. I wasn't expecting the entire stadium to go loud. And um, the first time I ever felt like I belonged, you know, that people actually liked me. So a good experience there kind of helped out. But my my dark thoughts were just always there. It was always there lurking, just lurking in the back, just, eating away at me, just reminding me like, Hey, you know, this, this is all temporary, Tito. Like it's, it's temporary, but you and I know the real truth about you, you know, type of thing. It's all in the back of my head. Always reminding myself, like, you know, you're a bad person. You know, I always used to think that like in this world, people are born and like right when they're about to be born, there's just this, this thing, this invisible thing that's there. And like when you're about to come out, it stamps your forehead, whether you're a good person or if you're a bad person. And, you know, like life is not by chance, but the things that happen to you is because it's destined for what you're supposed to be type of thing. And I always felt like that I was stamped as a bad person, you know, because I mean, I, I could I could run into some good luck. I can run into some good luck. And I um, get a lot of bad luck. <laughs> so I'm, I guess I get so used to, to all the negativity and everything like that. It doesn't bother me all that much. And to, and to those people, like I said earlier in the beginning of this live stream, to those people who say things about me, you know, just understand the, the stuff that you're saying about me is peanuts to what I tell myself already. Like, and you can go hard. You can try to find every personal thing about me, come at me with everything and find out that, oh, this guy's really fucked up in the head because he has darker shit that he thinks about himself. It is that way. You know, um, I've never really understood what made me this way. Like, I never under, really understood. Like, you know, I hear like, you know, there, there, there's people that can come to me and say, you look, it's all in your head, man. You, you got to start thinking positive. You got to start thinking positive and, and and, and, and throw out all that negativity in it. And, you know, I respectfully listen to people who tell me that, but, you know, 
the thoughts that's going on in my head is just like, you know, don't you think I've tried? <laughs> if it was that damn easy, but come on now, something is something is happening here that I'm just not seeing, and I don't know why, and I don't, I don't understand why I can't get rid of it. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that I'm going to be that dude that gets uh, locked away because he's a nutcase. You know, I literally I broke down. You know, when I was young and I was diagnosed with, you know, the ADHD part didn't bother me when the when the psychiatrist was like, yeah, you know, he's ADHD. That's why he is the way he is with these things. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> when he said, you know, he also deals with multiple personality disorders and slight bipolar. I was like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on here. And I started to get afraid, like, does this mean they're going to lock me away? They're going to put me in a straitjacket and padded walls. What the hell's going to happen to me? You know, am I going to have a real life like everybody else? <sighs> I didn't know that all these years that I was, you know, dealing with. Uh... And yeah, it's depression. It, it's a form of depression and everything like that, that I was literally putting padded walls around me without even knowing that I was. And I was struggling trying to find some semblance of happiness. You know what I mean? There was even a point in my life where my only goal was to make people around me happy. You know, whether I goofed off and got goofy with them or told jokes or just sat there with them and, and gave them, you know, very uh, inspiring uh, words and conversations. And then when I was doing that, I was like, how come I can make other people happy? And how come I can give all this, this great advice to other people, but I can't take that same great advice and use it on myself. Like what the fuck is wrong with me? Why can't I do that? You know, um, it's just the most craziest thing ever. I just, I can't understand it. And I can't even till today, I can't understand it. You know, I lock away a lot of those dark things in the back of my head and they're there. I can hear them. I can hear them, especially in moments of solitude. Oh, when do they ever freaking go really loud? The moments that I'm alone, which is why I like live streaming too, you know, being able to, to like engage with people and talk with people. And it's just like, it keeps me away from those voices getting louder, louder and louder, but they are there. I just wish they would go away. But then again, I also feel like that if they go away. Would I even be me anymore? And whatever drives me to do these things, because trust me, Going on YouTube and live streaming is not something that, you know, I'm naturally good at. I mean, if any of you guys talk to any of my old past friends, you would know that I'm very reserved. As a matter of fact, some of you guys probably even know that. You guys know I'm an introvert. You guys know I kind of keep to myself. You know, being on a live stream is not something that uh, would be normal, much less anybody who's known me growing up never thought that I would have a YouTube channel me doing stuff like this. This is all like weird for them, you know. Um, the only, the only guiding light that I have and the only positive light within me is embracing my inner nerd, which is why a lot of things is kind of centered around that. Um, my curiosity for, for technology, my excitement for growth, my, um, my inquisitive side that just wants to know about everything, not just only on the tech side of things, but just anything, you know, like, I want to know why sometimes people's hearts get to beat. I want to investigate why people have things like a bunion on their foot. You know, it's just, I'm very inquisitive to want to learn things. You know, I believe in that whole thing that you're never too old to keep learning because I think of um, a phrase that stuck with me a lot when I was young was that knowledge is power. 
And so I feel like that the more things I know, the more powerful I become, but not powerful to project power to the rest of the world, but power to project internally against the things that I struggle with and try to find some way to balance it or hold it at bay, you know? So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those crazy things. I'm just like, oh man, how do I, how do I deal with this? You know? Um, <laughs> now, wow, I can't believe I actually shared that with you guys. I feel a little bit better being able to open up and say these things, you know, because I mean, even going beyond that, I won't get into the specifics of my first marriage, you know, because out of respect uh, for uh, my ex, I think that's something that she would have to approve for me to open up and talk about. So, but I will, you know, obviously you guys know that my first marriage didn't work out because I'm not with the person that, that, I, that I was married to. Um, but if, even from dad, because like, you know, my dad talked about, you know, like how, you know, he was married to my mom and then he found my stepmom and he's married to her and he's stayed married to her for all these years. But like he, he had said something to me and, and he was probably joking around, but it really stuck with me. And that was like, you know, he called it the Escobar curse. Um, and he was talking about you know, how my uncle Ray was married multiple times. My grandfather, uh, was married multiple times. My dad's married multiple times. He was like, there's not a guy in this family that has stayed married to one person. So when I agreed to get married, I really had this notion of like, this is it, you know? And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, there's a lot of aspects that didn't go the way it wanted to go. I wanted to break that curse, that cycle that my dad talked about. And I'm pretty sure he was joking now, now that I think about it. But back then when I was younger, I really had to get like a personal challenge. And um, yeah, you know, um, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering from that. And I fell back into another dark place again. And it was really crazy because, you know, I had moved to, I had moved to New Mexico Um my uh, my mom was living there at the time. So I got me a studio apartment uh, not far from my mom. And then um, her boyfriend worked at this car wash there. So he got me a job there just to make some money to get me on my feet. So I was working at a car wash. And I remember one day I, I, I came I came back, you know, um, to my apartment. I was just thinking about things. And I went on this, this chat site. Um, Boost Mobile, it's called Hooked. But Hooked is a branch connected to this really big Canadian chat site called AirG. And a lot of people were on it. And um, I started going on there to talk with people because, you know, I would go to work through the day, get off in the evening time, walk home, stop off, you know, like at a Wendy's, grab me dinner, head back to my apartment, go inside, no TV, no nothing like that, and just lock myself away. What's up, Latrell? I'll just lock myself away and... I was alone. And like I said, when you're alone, you, that's your worst time because those voices in the back of your head are really loud. And so I started going on this chat side and that, that's how I met my lady. That's how I met the mother of my children. You know, she was on there. Uh, I was chatting with, with her and a bunch of people, you know, in, in a room dedicated to like people that lived around or near the Phoenix area. And I was just, you know, chatting and chatting and chatting and, 
she doesn't believe me. Like when I tell her that she has saved my life again, because I had given up on life, you know, my first marriage went to hell, you know, I was alone. I didn't have my, my oldest son with me. I hated myself again. I hated, you know, you know, who I was that, um, I just didn't care anymore. I became reckless again. I, I met this dude who had like several businesses in New Mexico and under the table, he was, you know, he was selling cocaine and I wanted to make a fast buck. So I was like, fuck it. I don't care if I get caught or anything like that. So I started doing it. And, um, yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? You know, like I was spiraling out of control. Cause while I was getting this money, I was also losing myself in the process of doing it. Cause it, 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 it wasn't natural to me to do that. You know, um, I, that was like the first time that I ever did anything became a dealer. And um, I mean, clientele where I lived at was just like doctors and lawyers and stuff like that. The town had a lot of wealthy people that did that stuff. And so it was like to other people, it was normal to come across stuff like that. Like Coke was as normal as like what weed is to everybody else. And um, yeah, so I was dealing and I wanted to get the hell out of there. Cause I was like, man, <laughs> I get, I get popped for this. I'm going down and then I will never see my son. And, um, yeah. So got me a, you know, Greyhound ticket. And I was talking to my lady. Right. And like, so like her birthday is in the same month as mine. So I was like, yo, I, I, I was just, I was joking with her in chat. Uh, we, we were personally, we were in a personal DM with each other and I was like, yo, you know, it'd be, it'd be cool as hell if I, you know, came and kicked it with you and we just celebrated our birthdays together. She was like, yeah, I was like, yeah. That'd be cool. It's like, fuck it. I could just come down for the summer, just stay the whole summer with you. She was like, yeah, you know, because we had been talking for a while. So I was like, oh, okay. And I really did. I really, she didn't believe I was coming. And I really hopped a Greyhound and went from New Mexico all the way to Phoenix, got here. Um, we hung out. And um, yeah, things kind of picked up from a friendship to being in a relationship and in that relationship growing to uh you know a year later she gets pregnant with my first daughter and my lady today really 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 saved my life you know she's not a perfect person i know there there's there's people out there that can name the bad things that she's done okay when when you when you look at somebody nobody's perfect and you got to outweigh things you know and uh yeah, so seeing her, you know, pretty much save me from myself and then my daughter being born just save just saved me again, just like when my when my first son, my firstborn son was born. You know, he saved me from recklessness. It's like I go through a patterns of ups and downs in my life, you know, when I look at back at it right now, opening up to all of you guys about it. It's a lot of ups and downs. And I get to my highest point at the time in that time of my life. And then an event happens and I just whoosh, go down, but I don't stay down. Like I hit rock bottom, but there's like nowhere else for me to go, but to go up. And eventually I start making my way back up again. You know, my oldest son, Ezekiel, and my oldest daughter, Jaylen, both of them saved my life in those times. And, um, Right now, I'm still writing on that that high note, and yeah, it dipped recently, 
last year. It dipped recently, and I opened up to you guys because I was really feeling those thoughts. I was really feeling like life was over for me, and I knew the only way that would really kind of prevent me from even carrying through with it was talking to people, whether people judge me and they commented, yo, you're fucking stupid, man. Life's, life's important. You shouldn't throw it away. Like those things I was, I was wanting to see to silence the voices in my head that was just telling me like, dude, you ain't worth shit. Cause you know, e- even the whole entire time of my young adult, adult life, I felt like I wasn't good enough for my dad. You know, I felt like that the only thing that I got from my dad was his first name and that was it you know and it, no disrespect to my younger brother and sister you know because i am damn proud of the things that they do i am damn proud of their accomplishments you know and i looked at that and i'm like you know they accomplished far more than what i have and they're way younger than me and i felt like there's nothing that i can do in this world that would ever have my dad look at me and say, he's proud of me. And I wanted that so damn bad. I wanted that more than anything to have my dad look at me and talk about me the same way he talks about my younger sister, you know, cause my dad has so much pride. I see it in my dad's face. Like there's, you know, we, we share photos and stuff like that on Facebook. And I seen when my younger sister uh, was sworn in into the United States air force and she went to basic training and she, when she was graduating out of basic training, my, uh, my mom, AKA my stepmom, and my dad, they went to her ceremony. And because my dad was, you know, in the air force, he wanted, he wanted to be able to salute one of his kids, one of his kids salute him. Um, knowing that they carried on one of the legacies of my family was that, we're, we're, we're military people. And, um, I seen the the pride in my dad's face, you know, and I'm glad that my younger sister gave my dad that, that fulfilled that dream my dad had. And, um, so, you know, because she did some time in college and everything like that before being sworn in into the United States air force, when she went through basic training and finished, she came out as a Lieutenant already. And, um, at the ceremony, you know, my dad's up on stage, my sister's on stage, and there's a there's a photo of of my sister saluting my dad, which you know, kind of like it's a tearjerker. It broke me down, you know. But it was great to see my dad have that pride, and at the same time too. But I looked at that, I'm like, that's something that I can never do. I can never make my dad that proud of me the way he was proud of her. And a lot of people were like, dude, you shouldn't compare yourself to your siblings. You know what I mean? Your dad loves all you guys, but those are things that. You know, I wanted to do to my dad too. Like I wanted to have my dad that proud of me too. And it's the reason why I never use his first name. I've said this before. Most of you guys who rock with me for a long time know this. I've said this before that I don't ever feel comfortable being called by my given first name because it's the same name as my dad's. And I felt like that I haven't done anything or deserve to use that name. And of course, my dad will always tell me like, no you're my first son. I gave you my name. You know, we always argue back on that, but it really boils back down to like, you know, like all my stupid decisions growing up were very selfish and all the things that I've done, you know, have led me to where I am now. And 
I feel bad that my dad can't proudly say that all four of his kids are doing tremendously well because out of all four of us, I am the one that's doing the least great. I am the one that struggles day-to-day paychecks, grinding it out, you know, barely any extra money, you know, extra money to, to have as cushion for emergencies. I am the one that, you know, doesn't live in the best places um, compared to my sisters and my brother. And I struggle with that. And, um, you know, I know my dad doesn't hold that standard on me. He doesn't do that. He loves all his kids the same way. I know that. But my mind doesn't tell me that. And I struggle with that every day. And which is the reason why that like when things don't pan. Okay, I know I just froze right now. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what, what was heard and what was not heard. Um, but I'll reiterate what I just said. When things don't work out the way that I want them to, it doesn't destroy me to that extent. It doesn't destroy me to to that extent because I feel like that when I came into this world, I was destined to try, but never to succeed in those things. And that is like the worst thing to have in your head. Because people who succeed are the ones that don't let those voices control them. The, the, the problem with that is, is that these voices are out of control in my head. I don't have a grip on them. And, you know, when I had the help when I was young, like when I was seeing a psychiatrist twice a week, when I had a, you know, a child a therapist counselor come and see me, Every Thursday, I should have opened up then and I should have told them what I was going through then instead of trying to mask it because I didn't want my dad to win because I thought my dad was literally, literally trying to have me locked away. And that was, further, that, that was further from it. My dad knew that I was falling. He knew I was falling into a dark place because when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't have, I didn't have it in me to hurt somebody. You know, I was the type of kid that if I hurt your feelings, it didn't matter who got in the way, I would make a valiant attempt to go to you to apologize and to make things right. You know, people who hurt me, I was very forgiving. Like my older sister used to beat me up, you know, sibling rivalry. You know, if I annoyed her, she kicked the crap out of me. Um, But the one thing was that the moment that she even said sorry, I forgave her immediately. Sometimes I forgave her without her even saying sorry, because I knew like she really didn't want to hurt me. She just wanted to hurt me in that moment because I pissed her off. Like, you know, I took one of her Barbie dolls and threw it in the toilet uh, because she collected Barbie dolls. Um, So (laughs) that or I pulled the head, I pulled the head off her Cabbage Patch doll. Like those things, you know, of course she got pissed off. She beat me up for it. Um, But I knew that she didn't want to like actually really hurt me. And um, yeah, I was, I was very forgiving. To me, that was like, the only time in my life that I look back and see that I had a lot of innocence, you know, from the age of nine and up, that innocence was lost. You know, um, so I played around with music 
in my mid twenties. Don't worry. I won't ever do that again. Cause I absolutely suck trash. Um, my longtime best friend who I call my brother Ruben, you know, like he, he's pretty damn good. I mean, he can freestyle, you know, off the top, nothing written. He, he can flow. He's got bars. And um, so I thought, you know what, <laughs> let's, let's make a mixtape together just for the fuck of it. And uh, we were working on that and there was a song. So um, the beat is from Dre. Um, uh, I forgot the name of the song is. Someone with him and Eminem is I Need a Doctor. Um, but anyways, it, it was it was that one. And I wrote I wrote my my verses, you know, for that song. Um that we were playing around with the mixtape on. And I I unleashed everything that I felt about my life, you know, my you know, my my family and everything like that. All you know dark things and everything like that, you know. One of the things that is a constant blur to me that I think plays a big role in like why these things are there and I'm trying to uncover it. And I know my sister has talked to me about it and um, it was a house. I was probably a year and a half old because my sister was five years old. Or no, I was a little bit younger because she was like four. She was almost five. My sister's four years older than me. But um, my mom uh, used to leave us at this house, and she would she would drive. She would be gone for the weekend. My dad was stationed in South Korea at the time, so he wasn't TDY because TDY is when you're sent to a base for a temporary job order that could be like ninety days. But my dad was not TDY in South Korea. This is when he was in the Air Force. Uh, he was actually stationed in South Korea, but he are, he already knew with this that he was going to be stationed in South Korea for one year, and then he was going to return back to Florida to the base that we were at. And so he spoke with the base commander and worked it out to where he would go to South Korea, but he didn't want to move us all to South Korea to just move us all back to Florida, you know. So my dad was in South Korea. People had told my mom that, you know, he's over there. He's not loyal. He's cheating on you. He's cheating on you. He's cheating on you. My mom fell for the stupidity. Um, so anyways, my mom would go. She would go out with her friends and drop me and my sister off at this house. And this house was just so weird. Like I can, I can remember a lot of things in my past. I can remember when, you know, um, when we first uh, went to the Philippines and um, I woke up before everybody else, I went into the kitchen. I made me a bowl of strawberry, uh, stra- um, strawberries and cream oatmeal. And my dad had a, had the, the cassette tape of Daryl Hall and John Oates. And it was in the, the, the home. Um, the, it was not, it's not a home theater system, but it was like a, it was like a, a really big ass cabinet of like two subwoofers in each one. A really big stereo. <laughs> and uh so i would i turned that on and i would listen to it because i like daryl hall and john oates you know um some of those some of the you know some of the stuff that you know my dad listened to and everything like that like um funny thing well offer up funny thing i remember my neighbors got mad one time because my dad had uh he had the cassette tape to the band called europe with that song the final countdown and i i used to blast that song <laughs> at like four years old and piss off the neighbors 
But anyways, um, yeah, I can remember to things like that in my life. But what happened in that house, I can't remember. I just knew that that family had a, had a son around my age. His name was Russell, and he was mean as hell. And um, But they always kept me and my sister separated. Now, my sister, um, she's starting to get some recollection of that house. Not giving a lot away, but it's not very good. And um, I don't know if that's going to unearth something. That kind of frightens me a lot. Let's see. Well, everyone's going back to work now. See you in the next one. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, thanks for being here, Gene. But, um, yeah, I, man, I don't know. I'm afraid to know what happened then. I really am. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my sister, and I'm afraid for me. I don't know, sometimes I feel like some, some things are good, just left buried in the dark. But then that could also be a bad thing because... You can keep these things like dark things like that don't go away uh, and they'll never stay away. The analogy best put to it is that it's like, it's like trying to hold something underwater, you know, like a, like a ball. You can push it underwater, it'll stay underwater, but eventually it'll resurface itself. And that's what I'm afraid. So what's the point of all this, talking about this, opening up to you guys today about this, um, sharing all these these uh these things of my past um is that i know i'm not the only one that struggles with things like this i know i'm not the only person that that deals with these types of dark thoughts what's up baby yoda you know i now know today i'm not the only person that was ever diagnosed with multiple personality disorders i know that i'm not the only person that's ever been diagnosed being bipolar i know that i'm not the only person that's been diagnosed with adhd but you have to, for me, what's really kind of helped me carry on through all these times is just talking to people. And I guess that's what, gra- that's what makes me gravitate towards live streaming and stuff like that is just talking to people. Um, because again, being alone is your worst enemy when you deal with things like this, because then you are left to your own thoughts. And when your own thoughts already beat you down far worse than any troll can do, that becomes a dangerous situation. So yeah, you know, it'd be false to say that nothing hurts me because words do hurt. I'll be honest with people. Words hurt. Words definitely hurt. Things that say that has been said does hurt. So Let's just kind of like, let's be a hundred percent real here and just freaking be honest. You can hurt somebody with words. I guess the reason that I don't, because I'll be honest, I don't have a thick skin. Okay, back in the past, when they used to tell people like, yeah, when you want to be on YouTube, you gotta have a thick skin. You know, I lied. I don't have a thick skin. It's just when people say things to me, like in the comments, like some random person will come in and be like, dude, you look like this or, bro, shut up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about and all these things. The reason why those things don't bother me is because they aren't saying anything that my own mind isn't already telling me, but my mind does it about a million times worse than what they're saying. So that's why it doesn't sting or, get, or, or have the impact that they wish they had to tear me down. Because I've already done told my, I've already done, done tore myself down, 
in my own head. You ain't telling me something different. You know, I'm already hitting myself with fist of stones to KO myself. So anything that anyone else says to me is like throwing punches that feel like water balloons. It's just insane. Very insane. Um, so anyways, before I go, um, like the title says, there's a internet, there's a reaction video and I'm going to do this on here before I end the broadcast. So one of my outlets to kind of like free myself from all this dumb shit is music. And throughout years, there have been different, uh, musicians and stuff like that, that I can resonate with that I could, uh, you know, I can relate to, or like their lyrics can really have an impact on me. And most recently in the last couple of years, I don't know if you guys ever heard, uh, you guys probably did. Cause you know what? Like I'm, I'm, I'm reaching my forties, you know what I mean? So I'm for, for a lot of the young cats out there, y'all probably heard of him. Um, but the, the artist's name is NF and he has become, um, one of my top people on my playlist and my music to listen to because his music, while it can seem a little bit dark, but the words to the things that he says resonates with me a whole hell of a lot. Life is like being in a storm sometimes, but sometimes it is hard like a rock when you're being tossed and thrown all over the place. Yep. A good analogy there. Very good one. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of his music I can resonate to and there was one that he did. I thought it was pretty cool. So I wanted to react to it with you guys live. Um, yeah, so let's do that right now. Crazy insane um video well, here we go. already just off the jump i like the background the snow the woods could be the rockies i don't know someone that lives uh Near the Rockies, tell me if this is it or not. <laughs> Never been there, like to the Rocky Mountains. Um, who knows? Look, self awareness, project coating. Yes, I like to wear it. Buttoned up, don't like to let no air in with a pair of gloves that I hope doesn't perish. I discovered though when I get holes in them and I let joy in, I'm in higher spirits. My mistakes are like a screaming parrot, just repeating lyrics. I can barely bear it when I'm lost. Road is narrow, I'm looking down it like a gun's barrel. Aren't we all searching for the serum that could help us breathe and leave our state of peril? Just real quick, like I like I watch his music videos and stuff too, and those balloons represent his burdens. So like, you know, he very, he speaks to a certain way. So um, a lot of his metaphors and everything, if you really can kind of see through them, you can see what he's actually initially pointing out to. But the the whole thing with the balloons, that's a nice touch to kind of like, you know, use it as an analogy to explain that we all carry burdens. You know, we all, like, there's, there's always this dark thing that we carry around with us. All of us have made defensive scarecrows that we scatter around our fields and treat like heroes when they scare away the things that we should cherish Cause we're too embarrassed to admit the fears that we're lost Yeah, but what does it matter? I get too combative inside of me is a personal canvas The pain can be glad to get messy when I start to get rattled The heart of a savage and quiet when I lurk in the shadow But something on that up, I don't want to be overdramatic But look at the data, it's obvious that humans are fragile We tend to get mad at the ones that call us out But the fact is we need someone that'll be honest when we fly off that handle I admit I throw a fit when I begin 
that right there. I like that touch of what he just said, you know, um, and that is something true that we all deal with, you know, as, as people like, you know, e- even, even like YouTube creators and stuff like that deal with this. Right. So like you have people that just surround you and like, they tell you your shit is good. Like you're good. Um, everything you do is good. You're good. You're good. You know, like what, what they call yes men. But, you know, he's like saying like, you know, we get mad at the people that tend to call us out on our things, you know, people that are being honest, but we need more people like that around us you know, for, for personal growth and for growth of what we're doing. If we're always told that we're doing good, then we never try to succeed to do anything further. So, I don't know, I just thought I'd point that out. It wouldn't ravel, keep my wits been off the grid, but now I'm back in the saddle. My intent is not to rent, I like to own what I value. I can take you on the fence and maybe pick up the paddle. I like the world against the current, that's the way that I travel. Opposite of what the grand has got the brain of a rebel. Take initiative, I'm diligent on every level. I never can settle, I like to keep my foot in the pedal. Yeah. I love the pack arenas and all, but what I really want to do is learn to handle my thoughts and put the reins on them, show them I'm the one that's the boss and pull them back when they get out of hand and breaking their jaws. I'm taking the flaws. They told me I can never revolve and pull a bane on them. Ask them, oh, you think you're in charge? You ought to know better. Ain't no way around it. Applause the traits that I want. They say I can't afford what it costs, but I manifested this. Failing's how you grow and learn your lessons, kids. Take the worst and try to make the best of it, because when you fail, just know that it's a test in it. You can learn to pick yourself back up again and train your brain to not be such a pessimist. It's okay to make mistakes, just don't forget. Get that there's a high road, but I skip the exit when I'm lost. Yeah. When I'm lost. When I'm lost. When I'm lost. When I'm lost. That's crazy. So that's a, uh, I was wondering what the balloons on the top were when I first watched this video, and it happened to be somebody else who also carries burdens as well. But the whole background and everything like that seems pretty cool. And I like the way his music videos are because it's more of like a movie than it is just like a basic music video. I don't know if you guys catch the same vibes that I do, but that's that's how I I perceive it. Wow. These burdens are heavy, and I'm hoping it don't bury me. I used to be joyful and skip so merrily, but now I'm too cautious and tiptoe carefully. My mind left, and it's nowhere to be found. Am I a big old parody? Cause it's no fair to me. And now I'm at the point where I'm spending a grand a week on hypnotherapy. Look, I'm trying to wash away my sins. I got a group of loved ones that ain't my friends. And if I ever take a nail, then they might grit. And they all want to see me stay in the cage I'm in. So when it come to anybody, there's no trust for no one. Man, so what? My whole plan's to go nuts. My shoulder's ready for most drugs. I'm gon' judge anybody trying to enter my circle with no love. Hold my sanity's gone. I'd rather be torn from this planet they planted me on. Your stats a reward. I'm actually bored with having this our heart is torn apart from a family that I don't have anymore. Man, hold up. I was living so oblivious with millions. It really was a pity, huh? A pity. Huh? It's kind of funny what a penny does mixed in with a mini buzz. I feel stuck. Life got me by the neck with a blade against it. Cause I was running late for the train and missed it. The only thing I feel is pain and vengeance. So I'ma act out like a raging misfit. And every verse I lay go stay sadistic. You wanna hate me? Good, great, terrific. You'll never see the day when my anger's dismissed. You better go and change your wish list. Cause I. Manifested this Do not treat me like some adolescent kid I am praying to the Lord with the book of James Hoping he go at my testament This dark cloud, that's my residence Demons knocking, I don't have to let him in I don't make mistakes Day to day, you probably can't relate I just ain't the same when I'm lost Yeah That is crazy. All those balloons buried in the snow. <laughs> more people with more burdens. But anyway, that is yeah, um, pretty insane video. Uh, but very powerful message 
within that, if if you guys read the lyrics or if you guys can actually understand the lyrics as you're saying it, um, you can see that. Um, and I guess that's why I resonate a lot with his music. You know, after discovering his music about a couple years ago, was just because of the fact that a lot of things that he says I can really, really, really relate to. You know, personal thoughts, inner demons, uh, different thoughts telling you dark things and stuff like that. I was just like, wow, you know, I think that was like a realization that came to me when it was just like, there's people out there just like me. And uh, not to like normalize it where you can just stay that way because you always want to try and grow out of it. You always want to try to to get to a better place. And so um, that's why I do these things on YouTube, you know. You know, I talk about tech because it's one of the things that takes me away from all those bad thoughts and brings me to a place where, you know, I'm happy, you know, and, and I talk a lot about it, you know, give a perspective on it that may be different from everybody else's. But, you know, it's a perspective that I think that, you know, some people can benefit from hearing. And I thoroughly enjoy doing that. This I love to do. To be honest with everybody, I would love to do this. If, if this could be my 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 main and only career of just doing this every day. You bet your ass I'd do it. Um, I love doing this. I love talking with people. I love reading the chats and seeing what you guys have to say and getting your guys' perspective on things. It's been an amazing journey for me. And this is why, like, you know, in my live streams, when I end my live streams, sometimes you guys hear me say that I love you guys very much is because I really do. I really do love the aspect that you guys bring. And I love the support that you guys give, you know, not, not the super chats. That's not the support that I'm talking about, not the thumbs up, you know, but just like when you guys really talk to me as a person and not just like, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to explain it. But you guys actually talk to me as a person, you know, and, and to clear things up or whatever, whatnot, you know, for, for all the things that that is currently going on, for all the things that's currently going on, and you guys know what I'm talking about, um, I still hold no ill will to that effect. You know what I mean? I know that I won't open myself up like that again um, to be attacked, but I don't wish bad. I only wish that there, that there's some sort of semblance of life that comes to them to bring them happiness. I really pray for that. And I leave everybody with that. So, while those who came in to hang out with me, um, I really appreciate you guys for being here. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to my ramblings today. <laughs> I really didn't think anyone would be in here watching, honestly. I really thought that the view count would have stayed at zero the whole entire time because most people only come for the tech talk and stuff like that. So seeing, you know, even just eight people or 10 people in here, you know, that. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, to everyone else that rocks, you know, just with the community, you guys are doing awesome. For those people that are, you know, starting up and 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 doing their live streams and stuff like that, don't give up. No matter what anyone tells you, just please, for the love of anything, don't give up and keep going and keep going and keep pushing. For those people that you know generally enjoy being in the live streams and commenting and and popping up on the periscopes as guests or you know, what, whatever live streaming platform we all kind of shift around to because we're like all playing musical chairs right now and trying to find a new home for these live streams outside of YouTube. Um, keep doing it. You know what I mean? The, the, the negativity is always going to surround us, but let's not feed into the negativity so much and let's, let's try to pull each other out of it. You know what I mean? 
Um, cause this is my only outlet. If it gets taken away from me, because I am, there's times where I'm thinking like, I just want to give all this shit up just to not deal with all the bullshit that comes around it. And, um, but I know that if I give all this, this up, I'm going to go back to that dark place. I'm going to be stuck with them damn voices. I'm going to be hearing all the things that tells me that I'm not good enough for anything that I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. These are things that I hear on a constant basis you know, that I'm a loser, that I'm trash, I'm garbage, you know, the hell am I doing? Why do I even try? You will not amount to shit. Like I hear these things all the time because I'm telling myself this all the time. So that's why I keep saying there's nothing that nobody can tell me to try to hurt my feelings. There's nothing you can tell you that you can say that I haven't said to myself times a million because I beat myself up inside all the time for all the dumb shit that I ever done. And even though there's probably a less chance for anyone out there who I hurt to actually come across this. I am just going to say it to say it, but I am truly sorry for my stupidity, for my immaturity and for hurting you. And that I only hope that forgiveness is given um, because yeah, I need your forgiveness. Otherwise I can't forgive myself. And I leave it at that. So remember to love yourself above everything else. Because you could end up like me, stuck with multiple personalities and dealing with bipolar and ADHD and stupid voices that tell you that you're not good enough. Y'all enjoy the rest of your Thursday. I love you guys very much. Be cool. Be cool to each other. Let's make this shit happy again. Seriously, let's do that. Till tomorrow. Peace.